And the rest of us we're, will be in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 21 through 30. So I want to encourage you to follow along. So as we start today, I, I want you to imagine just for a minute that you are the richest person in the world, uh, a Jeff Bezos. Uh, last year, he was the uh, richest person with $113 billion to his name. Go ahead and count the zeros. So you're the richest person in the world, and you arrive at the Eau Claire Airport. I mean the Chippewa Valley Regional Airport. <laughs> and, and you need a ride to go to your favorite restaurant, Culver's. And so, and it doesn't make any difference which one, you get a pick. And so you get a ride to Culver's, and when you get there, the taxi cab driver says, $12, please. And you look at your wallet, and you have four $20 bills. And this is not a story problem. Four $20 bills, and... Um, so you take out a 20, and you pay that $12 uh, fare, and then you say, keep the tip. And so uh, later in the day, you, you actually check your wallet, and, and you're thinking, well, I have three $20 bills left. But you check, and there's actually only two $20 bills. One of them is one $20 bill is missing. What What happened? I don't know. What are you going to do about it? What will you do? Are you going to, are you going to be upset? Are you, are you going to contact the police and tell them about the missing money? Are you going to, are you going to blame the taxi driver? Did, uh, did the taxi driver take too much of your money and he, and he, didn't, and he didn't tell you? What are you going to do? Um, after all, you have $113 billion dollars. What's $20? If you're that rich, this isn't going to upset you, right? So uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. What if this week someone criticizes you on Facebook? If they criticized me, I would never know it. <laughs> or what if your car breaks down and you have a really expensive repair? What if your rent goes up and your, your electricity and your gas go up 20% and your, your water and your garbage go up 20%? How, how will you respond? What if you have a very important investment? You've taken a risk and you find out this week that it fails. How do you respond to that? What if your health takes a major setback? What if someone you loves, their health takes a major setback? setback. How do you respond to that? Will these circumstances, will they affect on how we view ourselves? Will, will these circumstances affect how we view others or treat others? Will these circumstances affect our relationship with God? The danger for us is losing touch with our true identity because we are spiritual billionaires. 
we don't often see what's at stake and what has real value as citizens of heaven. We have unimaginable resources and potential as followers of Christ. Now, last week we left uh, the Apostle Paul in uh, a dilemma, and I want to pick up uh, and read verses 21 through 26 for us as we start this morning. And uh, we leave Paul in a dilemma, and that's where we're going to pick him up today. In uh, verse 21, Paul writes, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going on living in the body, this will be mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. And so uh, we have this dilemma, verses 21 through 26, living with a life and death dilemma. And we see right off the dilemma in verse 21, as Paul spells it out. The dilemma is to live or die. What do I do? For to me, to live is Christ and die is gain. This may be the most important verse in the book of Philippians. If it's not this one, it's going to be in chapter 2. This is really a crucial concept. Paul was well aware of his identity in Christ. He had experienced God's love and God's forgiveness. He knew firsthand about God's tender compassion. Uh, he knew God kept his promises. To live was to ex continue to experience Christ firsthand to experience Christ in giving him courage and strength and patience and kindness and energy to advance the gospel of Christ. To live was to know the joy of pleasing God. To die would be to go and immediately be in the eternal presence of Christ. Paul's identity affects his attitude toward life and death. Does your identity affect your attitude about life and about death? In verse 22, he considers the outcome for living. When he thinks about continuing on to continue to live, he says, if I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. So just to be reminded, the Apostle Paul is a prisoner. He's chained to a Roman soldier in Rome, Acts 28. 
If he continues to live in this body, in this physical realm, he knows that God will continue to give him success in ministry. God will continue to give him fruitful labor. There will be more opportunities to share about his relationship with God, more opportunities to share what happened to him on the Damascus Road, more opportunities to share how God has worked in his life and how God has provided for him and how God has used him to advance the gospel. Fruitful labor, more opportunities to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. More people will come to faith. More people will be rescued from eternal punishment. To live is Christ. To die is gain. gain. That's Paul's dilemma. What should he choose? What would you choose? Remember last week we kind of ended our service and um, I just asked you to think about it this, this last week. For For to me, to live is blank. You fill in the blank. Did you you take some time and to think about that? For to me, to live is having more fun, having more money, getting more stuff, having nicer stuff. How about having a perfect mate? That would make life better, wouldn't it? A perfect husband. For, for to me, to live is getting buzzed or viewing more pornography. What, what is really living for you? Paul acknowledges his dilemma. The outcome for dying in verse 23, he says, I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. Uh, He's torn. This is, he, he's, he's in tension with this. His first choice would be to depart, to, to leave this earth, to go and be present with Christ, to go to heaven, to see Jesus face to face, to enter eternity where there's no more tears and no more sin and no more dying. That's, that's his first choice. That's the ultimate choice. It's better by far. And when that happens, he's going to see firsthand all of his spiritual inheritance. He's going to see all of his true identity as a citizen of heaven and a spiritual billionaire. Now, Paul uh, talks about this a bit in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 6 through 9, and he describes uh, this tension. He says, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, in this physical uh, existence, living in the flesh, which has limitations and boundaries. Um, He says we are... As long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. There's some kind of boundary between Jesus and us right now. We do have Christ in us, the hope of glory, but we have limitations in experiencing the spiritual realm and our full spiritual life and uh, our our full identity. And then he goes on to say, 
uh, for we live by faith and not by sight. And that's really an important concept. We live by faith. We live by what, what we learn from God, what Scripture tells us. We, we trust what God says. We don't perceive everything that God says. We don't perceive everything in the spiritual realm. We don't perceive the spiritual billions that we have. We don't, we don't see them. But we can have a perception because we live by faith. We take God at his, at his word. Next slide. We are confident, I say, and I would prefer to be away from the body. He says, I'd like to leave. And at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. We make it our goal to please him. That's priority, to please Christ. Um, he'd rather be in heaven. He'd rather be face to face because living in, in this body is harder. Um, and so, you know, why not just hurry the whole thing up and take our own life, right? Some people get so discouraged that they want to do that. They don't feel like their, their life is worth living, that they don't have value. The goal is to please God. God is the one who gives, and God is the one who takes. It's not up to Paul or any of us to take our life. That's in God's hands. He is the one who takes, and he does it in his timing when, when he is ready. Now, we see the choice that Paul has in verses 24 through 26, and the priority is in verse 24, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul sees the priority is to serve someone else first and not be concerned about his own wants, his own preferences. God still has work for Paul to do, to follow Christ, to serve Christ. And God supplies the, you know, sometimes Christians just get tired thinking about all this because I'm so tired already. But that says something about us sometimes because God is the one who provides energy and strength to do the things that he wants us to do. Sometimes we, we get tired because we're doing things in our own strength or we're doing things that we just want to do. Paul gives his reason in verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul's going to continue to live, to live for Christ. He will, he will continue serving others. He will continue to help people connect with God, to develop them into fully devoted followers. The choice that he makes will bring spiritual progress to the Philippian believers. It will bring joy to the Philippian believers because of their growth and their maturity. It will enable other believers to experience joy in their faith. When you help other people grow as Christ followers, when you help them in their walk one step at a time, 
You contributed to their ability to experience joy that comes from Christ and only from Him. And then the goal is in verse 26, so that through my being with you again and your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. The Apostle Paul wants to have gospel impact. He wants his life to count. His desire is to continue to serve the Philippians as their mentor and and that he would give them a greater perspective, that he would expand their view of God and how great he is. Um, That they might more accurately see Christ and to trust him. And then they would be able to boast in Christ. They would be able to focus on him. They would be able to say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is what Christ has promised. They would be able to glorify, magnify, respond in worship to the true and living Christ. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul chooses life for gospel impact. When we think about it, we live in a much different environment, don't we? You know, Paul is like this perfect Christian. He is a great model, and and he is a model for us, a very real model to follow. In our context, we often see death as the worst possible thing that could happen. We live in a world where we seek to prolong life and to make it as comfortable as possible. Now, that's not all bad. I'm not criticizing that. But we just get focused on this life and we really bring down all that God has promised us as what is really going to be important. Death often seems like a failure. It seems like an embarrassment because we can't control it. Our hope is often only in this life. And we aren't that excited about being spiritual billionaires. That's a danger for us. And that's why it's so easy to get caught up in our circumstances under the pile. Secondly, in verses 27 through 30, living with worthy conduct in difficult circumstances. This is just about following Jesus. This is what God calls us to. Verses 27 and 28, Paul uh, speaks of worthy conduct. Whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens doesn't make any difference. Whatever happens, life or death, pandemic or recovery, prosperity or poverty, success or failure, Democrats in power or Republicans in power, Whatever happens, worthy conduct 
is behavior worthy of the gospel of Christ. It is consistent with Christ and his leadership. He continues, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know, and I love this part, you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them and that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Worthy conduct, what it is not. Uh, worthy conduct is not self-focused. It's not about my advancement or just my success. It's not about being good enough to be saved. You know, it's not like, well, I've got to do a certain amount of things that are good, and I hope that the good things I do outweigh the bad things I do, and then I hope God will give me a report card, and he says, okay, you pass. That is not going to happen. That's not what this is about. Because we can only be saved by grace through Christ. It's not about being more religious than others. What it is, it is about following Christ one step at a time and one day at a time. It's about living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about loving one another. It's about being kind to one another. It's about encouraging one another. It's about praying for one another. It's about serving one another. It's about forgiving one another. It's about bearing with one another, cutting them some slack, even when it's hard. Paul says something similar to this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. And the context, verse one, as a prisoner of the Lord. Same situation. It's the same imprisonment. Paul is in Rome and he's chained to a Roman soldier. It's one of the reasons why Philippians and Ephesians are called prison epistles because Paul wrote them while he was in prison. He says as a prisoner for the Lord. It's, he, he knew. He, he didn't see himself as a prisoner for the Romans or a prison prisoner for the Jewish people back in Jerusalem. He was there for the Lord and because of the Lord. He says, then I urge you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received, worthy of the gospel of Christ. How do you do this? Well, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Be patient. Um, not getting bent out of shape in your circumstances when they aren't always happy. You and I are going to lose a few $20 bills along the way. We should live a life worthy. That's what our, our motives should be, our desire should be. Um, to seek in a way that's going to promote the gospel. Sometimes we say uh, to be good news so that 
we have a platform to share good news. And as I've said before, many times Christ followers can be bad news. They don't represent Christ well at all. They just represent their own viewpoint. And making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. This is unity in the church, unity in the body of Christ, not division. It's based on the work of the Holy Spirit. And we go back to verse 27 where Paul writes, you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. That's how Paul describes this. He uses this athletic metaphor as if there's a runner crossing the, the finish line and he's striving and every effort is to move forward. And it, he, he's picturing the church as one, as a unit, as a body, and everyone is working together, striving as one. The church on mission Many different individuals who are Christ followers. Many different personalities. Many different perspectives. Even many different political views. Striving together as one for the sake of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. On mission. To share the good news and to be the good news. In verses 29 through 30, um, Paul describes, he kind of reminds us of the difficult circumstances of that time, living with worthy conduct in difficult circumstances, and here are the difficult circumstances. He says, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer uh, for him. If we choose to live for Christ in our difficult circumstances, God can use those circumstances to honor him and to exalt him and to bring a focus to him. That's what Paul means to suffer for him. Now, Paul suffered... Uh, because of his stance for Christ. And that's the, that's the opposition to the gospel that the Philippians are experiencing as well. Opposition. And suffering happens sometimes in opposition to the gospel. And sometimes we suffer just because life is hard and it's not perfect in this world. And we suffer physically and emotionally and sometimes financially or relationally. Um, Paul reminds us of some of his suffering in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, uh, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So five occasions. Um, he was probably in different cities for each one. Uh, the Romans didn't have a limit, but the Jewish um, leaders had a limit on how many times they would strike somebody when they were, when they were beaten with a whip. And they were 40 minus 1 or 39 lashes, and then they were set free. Paul went through that uh, five different times, probably in five different cities. Then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Those would have been wooden rods, and um, those would have bruised pretty good. Probably cut the skin. Wooden rods or cane rods. Uh, 
He says, once I was pelted with stones. I bet that really felt good. He was left for dead. That's how bad it was. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Those were real shipwrecks, you know. Um, possibility of facing drowning. He says, I've been constantly on the move. Next slide. I've been, I've been in danger from the rivers, uh, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in, in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep. Now, this sounds a little bit more like our world. I've gone without sleep. I've, I've known hunger and thirst, and I have been often gone without food. I've been cold and naked, and that, it's exactly what it would have been like in, when he was in prison at different times. Uh, besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul's burden for the churches to honor God and to advance the gospel was a heavy load. And, and he carried that one as well. We do all experience suffering in different ways and at different times. Um, and yet, when we go through this, you know, our approach is let's take all the problems away. Let's be, make life as comfortable as possible because we should pursue Life, liberty, and happiness. In the body of Christ, we are come to uh, come alongside people when they're hurting, to love one another, to care for one another, to come alongside and to serve one another because life is hard and we are better together. We're not better alone. But that's what rationale leads people to sometimes, is to separate and go their own way. We need each other in the body of Christ. Boniface was an English missionary to Germany, and he, he wrote this. He lived from 675 to 754 A.D. He was um, killed by armed robbers. He said, the church is like a great ship being pounded by the waves of life's different stretches, uh, stresses. Now, you know, this is uh, 1,300, 1,400 years old, and it seems to make a lot of sense today. Our duty is not to abandon the ship, but to keep her on course, to keep the church on mission, working together. Sometimes it's hard. But we are called to strive together for the sake of the gospel. And that's what Paul was asking the Philippians to do. That's what God is asking us to do, to rise above our circumstances. Yes, we need to deal with our circumstances. And as we do that, to deal uh, with our circumstances with conduct worthy of the gospel. Um, and and as, we, as we focus on Christ, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, um, I think this is kind of a key concept, as we think about rising above our circumstances, he says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Since this is true, you know, Christ was, was raised from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God, and 
And if we could see him, if we could go there, we would see him. Uh, he is alive, and we could see him face to face. And, and, and Paul says, since you've been raised with Christ, that's in Ephesians chapter 2, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Not, that's not saying, well, you don't have, have, to, have to deal with earthly things or, you, you know, that you can't like earthly things. It's just there's a priority. And the way to keep things in a right focus is to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things are going to come into place. They're going to have a proper focus. And we're going to get through these things. Um, Paul is saying, don't forget that you are spiritual billionaires. Now, I'm going to end this morning with a story that's a little more lighthearted, but it's a true story. A woman was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she had three months to live. Now, those are difficult circumstances. I mean, and, and those are sad circumstances, and, and they were real. Now, she called for, for her pastor to come, and uh, people used to do this all the time, and I've done it a few times as a pastor, but she called for her pastor to come uh, to plan her funeral service. And so the pastor came over, and she picked the songs that she wanted sung at her funeral, and she picked the scripture that she wanted to have read at her funeral, and she picked uh, the clothes she wanted to wear when she was buried, and she showed the pastor her favorite Bible that she wanted to be buried with. So the pastor wrote all of this down, and he prayed with her, and he was just getting ready to leave. And then she said, one more thing. What's that? He said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. That seemed a bit odd. What's that about? And she went on to say, I've attended a lot of church potlucks through the years. And after the main course, usually somebody would come out and say, keep your fork. What was that about? Well, it's because dessert was ready to be served. And it was usually something like chocolate cake or apple pie, something really great. And she said, that is my favorite part. Because the best is yet to come. And so keep your forks, friends. The best is yet to come. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's words in Philippians 1 and uh, just seeing the inside of his thought process as he thought about living and as he thought about dying, and it was a very real concept in his life. And he showed us how to live above our circumstances.
by choosing to live for Christ and by making Christ's priorities our priorities, we don't always do that well. We confess that. We often put ourselves first and put Christ in a slot once a week or even less. Lord, give us insight into what you want to have for our lives. Help us to raise our view of who you are and what you've done. May we continue to gain our under, in our understanding of our identity in Christ. And though it sounds crass, we are more than spiritual billionaires. Help us to see that. Help us to cope with whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. Some of us just are going through life as normal, and, and that's good. And some are struggling with a lot more things than others. May we help each other walk by faith and encourage one another and love one another and serve one another. And may we grow in our love and our appreciation for you and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' powerful name, amen.